John 14, verses 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. You can be seated. This is the word of God to us. So, good morning. I'm Steve. I'm one of the elders. Um, today is our wrap-up of the Acts uh, series. And if you're visiting today, uh, what, uh, what we did was uh, we had a retreat last uh, winter, and we decided at that retreat to give our elder, our um, pastor, our teaching elder, a sabbatical. So he, he has been on a two-month sabbatical. So he's been gone February and March, and he'll be back next week. Uh, but today is kind of the wrap-up. Uh, we elders have preached, uh, most of us have never done this before, uh, through uh, the book of Acts. And today, is the, uh, so we've kind of got two things. It's the Q&A part. So hopefully you have some questions that you would like to ask us, and we can kind of have a big life group discussion about it here. If we have lots of questions and lots of discussion, we could run out the morning uh, time with that. If we don't have a lot of questions, we can go through uh, the last two chapters, Acts 27 and 28. Uh, I have the, the Moody Bible commentary on it, so I could read some of that, and, and we could just kind of read through the, those last two chapters together. Uh, but that said... We're here to answer your questions. And I could actually run this if somebody has a question. Are we going to do our wrap-ups? Hmm? I think we're not. <laughs> I think we're going to do the Q&A first. Yeah. And then we're going to do the wrap-up. John, you want to go? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So let me start your questions with a question from us. So starting in, starting in Acts 1, Jesus states... Let me just read it instead of trying to recite it. It's real quick. Acts 1 and verse 8, but, and this is Jesus speaking, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We're here today because of that. And we're also called to be part of that spreading of the gospel. So as we've gone through this series in Acts, and you've heard us all present portions of it together uh, to you, what sort of impact has that had on you personally? What have you taken away from that as we've looked at ordinary men being empowered by the Holy Spirit not on their own, but through the working of the, of the Holy Spirit, the plans and purposes of God, stepping out of their own comfort zones, their own plans and purposes for their lives, and surrendering themselves to that calling. These were just ordinary fishermen, most of them, ordinary people. Some were educated like Paul. God uses whoever it is that's willing to come to him and surrender themselves to him and serve him. And he says he'll honor that. So as we've, we've taught that, we've led that, and now we want to hear from you. What is it that you have heard, if anything, and how has God impacted your life as a result of this series? My name is Junior Hattaball. I'd like to know if there would be any difference between being buried or cremated. I'm sure we can't, you know, decide, but uh, 
that's my one of my questions. <laughs> As a church, we're uh, that is a, a, a non-essential. Um, so we can probably even have different opinions about that. I think there's some things to think about if you're saying which one. Why would I choose which one? Um, it is it is it is absolutely non-essential to your salvation. If, which way you choose um, on that one. But uh, um, a couple thoughts. Um, if you're going to choose cremation because that's the best way to save money, I don't know that that probably should be the most prioritizing way to choose that. Um, because if, uh, if we believe we're going to be risen at the end, if our bodies will be raised from the dead... Um, as is promised, uh, then it doesn't, it doesn't seem impossible for God, obviously, to raise anybody from the dead, no matter how scattered their body parts may be. Um, but it also doesn't seem very congruent to say, well, my body will be raised, so I'll scatter it into all the molecules of carbon I can. Um, it just seems that's a possible thought you can have um, in, in, in congruence with that. So I think, uh, again, it's not essential, uh, so we don't wanna, I don't want to go on for a long time about it, um, it does not, I'll just say that, it does not weigh on your salvation. Um, but there are some important thought processes that you might want to think through for that. There are very cheap ways to be, to be buried. Well, I wasn't going to answer a question like that, but I'll give you an, an example that happened to me. Many years ago, I started having nightmares about waking up inside of a closed space and was terrified. Um, I chose cremation because of that. I believe that God was telling me that it didn't matter to him. He could raise me whether it was ashes, bones, or not. But that dream of me being terrified, waking up in a coffin, scared the living daylight out of me. <laughs> Any questions about Acts? <laughs> what I found in what Robert spoke about the fact that what we are receiving, we need to not just take into ourselves, but we need to put that out there. And my question for you guys, each one of you was, is there one thing that you saw in the study that the Holy Spirit gave you mm. to give to us, if you would tell us that? Mm. Do you want to do the first, since he addressed you? I think he just said mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, just that summary that... Um, yeah, you can wrap that. You know, we're all face a decision, and the, and the crux of the decision, just as Paul had in 24, 25, and 26, when he was on trial, was all centered around their opinions of Jesus. And it's no different for us today. What do we believe about Jesus and what do we do about it? Amen. Dave, I, I think... Sorry, yeah. I, uh, I might answer my part of that um, by just saying um, the up until this time, and this is my bad, I have always looked at scripture kind of like um, with a um, magnifying glass or a microscope and two or three scriptures, and, and then a pastor expounds on that for, for um, the sermon time, and it's always amazed me how much they can get out of that, but it's kind of like out of context for me. So doing my part of the Acts study, uh, it was 16 and 17, Studying that, talking about it, reading commentaries, it just put the whole thing way more in perspective for me. It gave me a much better feeling for what, what Paul did, how he was empowered by the Holy Spirit, what God was doing through Paul. And it really changed my whole um, perspective on Bible study. So your question was, what has the Holy Spirit shown us? Person, like each of us. Great. Yeah. 
I think I got to cheat in this whole uh, series because I only had like half a chapter and some of you guys had four chapters. But uh, I just had the conversion of Saul. Um, he's on the road to Damascus. You probably understand the story already. He's knocked down, blinded. He understands that Jesus is telling him, you're persecuting me. All this happens. Um, he becomes a new creation in Christ. The thing that the Holy Spirit was encouraging me for the rest of my life out of that um, was there's... Um, You, I, I already understood that you have to have an encounter with Jesus. I under, understood that. And Saul had that moment. But what I hadn't seen before was how essential that was tied to the church. That believers were right there. And he didn't just enter in on his own. Immediately, another believer came and welcomed him in. And then other believers vouched for him because obviously they were like, who is this guy? Well, actually they're saying, I know who you are and you shouldn't be here. And so, uh, but the, the, the encouragement of others, the testimony of others around him saying, I see the fruit of the spirit in him. All the, So the way that it was all tied to other believers was really, really uh, eye-opening for me. And um, not in a way I'd never understood before, but in an emphasis uh, for me. And I've been something I've been sharing with the elders in my personal life, things I'm trying to get back to this relationship, discipleship with others in my life uh, that kind of have I've become too busy for um, and realizing. So that was my takeaway from, from my section was, yes, you encounter Jesus, but you encounter Jesus and the church and the discipleship, the welcoming in, the, the membership, the enter, the, all of that, joining and growing was in with other Believers, um, and he was completely blind. He ha- was totally desperate for them. So that was an interesting um, for me, and I've, I've made some changes based on it. So God wants to change our hearts continually, and it doesn't matter how long we've been walking with Him. And I, I reflect on and, and looked at it again here this morning, Acts ten, uh, Peter. And you may remember that's the chapter where he has the vision of the sheep being lowered down with all the unclean animals on it. That was to prepare his heart to go to the house of Cornelius. Cornelius is a Gentile. The Jewish, not just tradition, but law, forbid them from interacting with Gentiles. And so at the door to Cornelius's house, he stands there and in typical Jewish manner, he blurts out, it's against the law for me to even be here with you. Now let's talk about the gospel. Yeah, it is John's summary of it. But he, in that, the part of that statement I forgot to say is, he says, God has shown me that it's not right for me to call you clean or unclean. Or clean or impure. Unclean or impure. There we go. And... <clears throat> God was working on Peter's heart. That was 15 years after the ascension. Peter had been leading the church in Jerusalem for 15 years, just fellowshipping amongst his fellow Jews. God was challenging him to live outside of the norm for Jewish culture and to love those that had been deemed unlovable and had put him into a place where he was then given the opportunity to understand and and to be impacted by that. And uh, the same with Paul. Paul In uh, Acts 26, Paul talks about how he raged in anger against people who had come to faith in Jesus Christ, voting to put them to death. This was his, he hated Christians. He hated believers. You know, and to see our New Testament that we read, all the, the letters and, and everything that Paul wrote, and just what a change of heart he had. That anger was taken from him and was replaced by love. And that was the love of Christ in, in salvation and the impact that it made. And again, this is a man who had spent his life, his career was as a Pharisee, serving the Lord. So looking at where I'm at as a believer today, do you know? Can God still work in me? Can God still work a change and a transformation in my life and in my heart? And it, as long as I am willing to open my heart and my mind, 
and surrender my thoughts and my attitudes to Jesus, then he's going to do something with that. Mm -hmm. So th thanks for the question. I think what... Uh, oh, I don't like these things. Uh, I think what uh, impressed me was that uh, Paul was not satisfied with simply evangelizing, getting a profession of faith, right. because he made these three journeys. The book of Acts kind of deals with three different missionary journeys, and a lot of that was repetition of, of places. And uh, so every place he went, he had started a church. And uh, there were churches that were growing, and they themselves were starting other churches. And so he would go and visit, and he would encourage and uh, teach and exhort uh, to the point that uh, as I was reading through it, I thought of a verse in Colossians 1, I think it's 28, where it says, I want to present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Uh, not just enough to get a profession of faith, but to have a, a growing relationship with God, to have uh, their hearts perfected in love, to have holiness of life. And so he would go back over these same areas and say, okay, you've received Christ, but now uh, you, you need to grow. You need to have the Holy Spirit continue to guide you. And then as I was uh, thinking on that, I got to looking at all the names that show up, the names of people that had been transformed by his ministry, and then they were transforming other lives as they were reaching out to others. And so that this was not just a one-man show, but it became uh, Christians ex uh, growing in their faith and then reaching others and establishing more churches. And the name of Christ was being spread throughout the entire known world at that time. Uh, so I guess uh, a phrase would be the perfecting of the saints is what I gathered from this. And this is Paul's drive as well as his evangelism. Any other questions? Thanks, Dave. So we've, we, uh, we know we've prayed a lot already this morning, but not since we've sat down here on these chairs. Would you just continue to be, we can be prayerful of our time? Holy Father, we, we do ask that the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit, guide us in everything that we do. We only want to discuss your truth here, Lord, and we ask that you guide us, keep us from error. Um, we can offer opinions, but uh, Lord, we want to be referenced strongly to your word and your will for us. We just ask this in Jesus' precious name and by the power of your Holy Spirit. No more questions? Well, <clears throat> I can feed off uh, Dave a little bit a little bit more. So coming out of, I was in Romans prior to sitting down and taking on um, my section of Acts, and then I got back into it afterwards, and it kind of played right in. So what finishing up and then getting back into where I was studying previously, uh, I learned some more. So I'll just share that because it tied right in, and it was in Romans 10, uh, verse 14. I'll back up, I'll start in 11. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes through the word of Christ. Yeah. So while we all took turns preaching while Scott was gone, um, that's not the type of preaching that this is honing in on only. And it comes back to the idea that we're all 
preachers of the word of to what we believe about Jesus and what we're doing about that and how our lives exemplify that and how we're taking the word, the gospel, the good news to the ends of the earth, as Lois pointed out. And as that section in Romans lays out, if we are not doing that with the word and the good news, that's how people will hear. And that's our job. That's what a changed heart looks like, is taking the good news of the gospel from us that we've received and how the Holy Spirit's impacted our hearts and lives and taking it out. And that's the whole idea of what Dave started with his question of that we're not consumers, but we're doers, right? We're the sent now. We are the sent ones. Yeah. I would uh, just add Mark twelve thirty. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He doesn't want anything but everything from us. And when we give him our everything, and that's the part that I'm learning is when I think I've given him my everything, then he peels that layer of my flesh back enough to, see, to show me I haven't given him all of it yet. And, so I, and I think that's a lifetime thing. But he calls us to lay down everything, to surrender everything of ourselves to him. And that's what we see. That's what Acts is. It's the example of not just one man, but of many men, and I believe women too, that are doing that, that are just in that process of living life in complete surrender. And so with that in mind, I circle back around here. How did this series impact you? How does the book of Acts and the understanding of what God is showing us because it's not just a liturgical study. It's, we're not just walking through reading the scriptures so that we, okay, check the box. We read, we went through the Acts series. Now let's move on to the next one. It's for the purpose of piercing our heart, separating uh, you know, our flesh from our spirit in a way that God can use us. And so has that happened to you? Is God working in you? And are, is there anything that you want to share with us in a God story way of how God is changing your heart and your mind? Only because you mentioned the God story. So I was going to wait until the end. But, um, and without enhancing propaganda. But on Friday, which happened to be my birthday, um, Kathy Lee Gifford retired from the Today Show. And I don't know if any of you got to see it, but it happened to blip up on something, and I watched her final thing. And everything turned back to God. She read scripture. She quoted scripture. She said that her whole life and what she tried to teach her children, who she kept out of the limelight, it was so powerful. Because here's this woman who is very wealthy, super smart, and it was all about God. And I thought, oh my goodness, with all the nasty stuff that's going on with people trying to get their kids into the Ivy League schools and all that kind of stuff, here's this woman that says, nope, we have to look to him. And that was so empowering to me. I thought, wow, you know, we're all sinners, but this is what we're doing. And I just wanted to also thank my life group for Thursday night because it started an amazing weekend for me. Probably one of the best birthday weekends I've had in a long time. So thank you for surprising me with cake during our little, all of a sudden John disappeared. He came, he says, oh, I'm going to lock the church. But then he came back with cake. So anyway, but just to have someone in the limelight like that to really turn themselves over and say it's because of God was huge. So thank you. Anyone else? Last chance. I've been recognizing my need to um, have more not yet believers in my life. So um, wanting to obey and do what I've been learning. And I think for me, the first step is to be in connection with more people that are not yet believers. Awesome. Um, 
I agree with Cindy. I think that um, with the prayer times at 6 p.m. and seeing you guys get out of your comfort zone and get up front and share and dig into the word and looking at, um, you know, what God's doing with ordinary, ordinary men <laughs> makes me think that, you know, as kind of an ordinary church, we can be extraordinary. And um, I think we have seen our church shrink. I think God's gr- going to grow it again. I think I've been really convicted that, you know, I need to get out of my comfort zone and um, not just come to church on Sundays or share every once in a while with somebody that's already really comfortable hearing about God, but um, really uh, bring people into places where they can hear about God or share personally. So I've been convicted of that. talk today, but when I look at you awesome elders up there, we don't need movie stars, guys. We are God's chosen people. And what I've got from your times up there has just been excitement. I couldn't wait till the next Sunday to get here. So I thank God for each one of you godly men that have led us through the Acts. I've learned so much more from Acts than I ever thought I knew. And it just keeps growing. That's the beauty of God's word. The more we're into it, I get shocked sometimes with things I learn. So I want to say a special thank you to each one of you people for how you have done exactly what God wanted you to do. And it's been such an awesome series for me. Thank you very much. Has, have you all been praying at 6 o'clock? Uh, can you raise your hand if you've been praying at 6 o'clock? I know, now I'm calling you out, I'm sorry. Um, but that, uh, that time's been pretty special. Stephanie, yeah, we'll get you a mic. Um, I, don't know if, I don't know if that's done anything for you in your household. But I'll say that's a... I can't really put it even into total, into words, what, what, what God's done through... Asking God to make us alive and help us be the light to this valley. Um, praying that every day uh, has really challenged my heart. And I hope, I hope you, you can say the same. If you want to share about that, you can. Go ahead, Stephanie. I'm sorry. It's okay. The 6 o'clock prayer time has been um, especially meaningful to me <clears throat> um, because we were told specifically things to pray for, and and mainly it's um, that Christ will be displayed throughout our community, that our vision will be expanded, and, and so when I started, the Lord impressed on me that I first needed to pray for myself mm-hmm. to expand my own vision, and I'm still praying for that, <laughs> and I'm praying for my church family, but I think it was in Acts chapter 7 where they said all those who were believers were of the same heart and mind. And that's not just us in this church. That's every Christian church in this community, or well, around the world. But um, specifically, I'm praying for this community that the churches, the individual churches will be able to come together because, you know, we may have um, minor differences, but we serve the same Jesus and for the same purpose. And um, so that's the thing I've been praying for a lot lately. (laughs) Thanks. Can I put you on the spot, Robert? Good try. Because you were what you were sharing about about the um, kind of outward stuff. Can you share like are there are there are there concrete ideas about that for your own self? Like if they're not too vulnerable to share um, in terms of like daily life and house and family and all that. Is there a, is there a way to how that is challenging work or? Yeah, um, I mean, I think when we when we wrapped up last week, we talked about uh, the four G's and and believing about who God is—that He's good, He's great, He's glorious, and He's gracious—and that's who He shows Himself to be. That's who we know Him to be. 
Um, <clears throat> but taking that knowledge and running it through your heart, where all our actions come out of um, is the challenge and the hurdle. And, and Jesus is the only one that's, that's lived the perfect life and, and has managed that perfectly. And the rest of us were born in sin. We sinned yesterday, we sinned today, we're gonna sin tomorrow. And it's all centered around um, a moment of failing to believe who God is. And for me, that comes out in so many different ways, but it's expounded by, when I shared last week, by, by parenting. Like when you see it in your kids and it reveals in yourself who you are um, and in the relationships that you have <clears throat> and how you treat others. And it comes out and your selfishness is shown and it, it comes back to a, a point of pride or arrogance um, that you're displacing Jesus from the throne of your life and you're putting yourself in that role and it causes actions that are sinful and we have to repent of those and we have to come back to him and we have to uh, praise him for who he is and and it's over and over and over and again and it's and it becomes an, a way of exemplifying the love and the actions that Jesus has done for us to others so that they'll see in themselves the same gaps, the same failures to believe who Jesus is in their own lives, and they'll begin to trust more and more of their life to him. And as John pointed out, they'll have more and more heart change to be more like Christ. And then we'll continue to do that over and over and again. And if we're, if we're not facing our own reality of our own choices and of our own lifestyle and the things that we do, and challenging ourselves with that and giving those over to Christ, then we may be growing in knowledge, but are we growing closer to him? Are we becoming more like Christ if we're not recognizing in our own hearts where we are still holding on to ourself and we're still being selfish? And it's one of those ones that's easy to do from time to time, it's extremely hard to do all the time, and it's tougher for some people than others. Um, I mean, pride is a, is a big deal. And if we don't wrestle with our own um, failures and our own gaps and our own choices and, and how we view Jesus from every moment of our lives, then we're not growing. We have to come to a place every hour, every day, every week, to where we recognize, hey, I've stopped believing that God was good, he was great, he was glorious or gracious at some moment, and it caused me to act in pride or selfishness as opposed to acting in thoughtful, loving way towards Jesus. Okay, okay so how, does, how do you actually realize that, that you're doing that? I know, so I don't want everybody to be like, try to copy your life, but, but <laughs> if there's an no. example, right, like how do what, is it, uh, someone gets mad at you and you say, oh, maybe I'm being mad, or like, what, how do you actually, what you typically will, well, how do you realize that you're missing it? Which one? <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the easier ones for me to recognize is when I look back and I, and I look around and I have tangible reminders of, of moments of where I did something for myself when I shouldn't have, when I should have done something for my family or someone else. What's, what's a tangible reminder? Um, I don't know, the watch I'm wearing. Okay, that's um, helpful, okay. You know, when you look at the bank, you know, the credit card statement comes in, I'm like, man, I did not need these three things. Mm -hmm. I could have spent that on the family. Um, I could have found someone that I could have done something for that. That's a tangible example of where I'm believing I need these things um, to put out a persona or to prove myself because I think that if I don't prove myself as worthy, then I won't be accepted as worthy. Mm -hmm. 
but we know that the reality is if we're really truly believing, I've already been accepted. Christ already accepts me for who I am. I do not need X, Y, or Z to be accepted or to be proven worthy. That's been accomplished by Jesus, and he's already welcomed me in as I am. So I don't need to do anything. I don't, you know, whatever it is. And, there, and, there's, and there's grace there. So what does it look like then after you've realized... Yeah, I don't have to return the watch. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, but do you, I mean, are you, do, you, do you hit your knees? Do you talk to your wife? Or yeah, I wife? ask for forgiveness from, from Kelsey or from God for not believing um, that he's good enough, mm-hmm. that he's covered those things in that example, right, that he, that he is enough, yeah. and I am not, and that's the way the relationship works. Because he is then I, I am as well. Yep. And if I come before him with that attitude, then I can let go of some of those things and hopefully next time I can say, whoa, I don't need to do that because God's already accepted me for who I am. Can I add something? That's really concrete, thank you. Yeah, I was just trying to wring so, the towel as yeah, much as I could. Yeah, <laughs> the, I think, I know I struggle with this. I think we all struggle with this. The, the battle between trust and fear as our motivating and driving force. Huh. If I'm fearful, I'm going to make decisions based on fear. I may think that they're a positive outcome, and that's my motivation, but if they're based in fear, then I'm not trusting God. If I'm trusting God, then all of the things that this world wants to show me as being valuable, credible, desirable, um, pale in comparison to what... I know is the truth about who God sees me as, who God calls me to be as a man. And so that, that struggle is ongoing in me, um, and I would imagine most of us. Who, is, who am I going to let? Which one of those elements am I, or emotions am I going to let control my life? And we see that with Paul. I mean, as we look through the series of Acts, and we, he's coming back to Jerusalem, and people are warning him, don't go to Jerusalem. It's not going to go well for you there. And he's trusting God, he, it, and, and yet when God comes to him, he says, do not fear what's to come. So we see that struggle occurring again, being modeled in Paul. Which one is he going to let command and control his actions, his emotions, his thoughts, and his life. And, you know, praise God, trust won out. And who did he place his trust in? It wasn't in himself. It wasn't in his worldly things. It was in Jesus alone, all entirety. And I think, like, you see, when you see how much he lived it, then when he writes his letters later, you're like, yeah, yeah. I can be challenged with your word because I, you've lived it. I'm sorry.
Thanks, Melissa. Okay. Um, so we've uh, talked a little bit here, and uh, I think it's great, the questions. I would like to try to walk us just a quick overview of, uh, of Acts 27 and 28, and we'll come back for more detail. But I put together some maps, because when I read these things, I'm so visually oriented. I want to see what it looks like. So, um, Stephanie, can you bring up the first map? Okay, so in, uh, and you can read along in your Bible. I've just got a commentary here, but we'll do this real quick. Uh, <clears throat> Paul, uh, and as uh, Robert talked, uh, Paul had been with a hearing with Festus and Agrippa, uh, and he had appealed to Caesar, and he wanted to have a review with Caesar, so he was placed in the custody of a centurion and put on a sailing ship for Rome, because that's where Caesar was. And so he's on this ship. And uh, so... They were sailing from Sidon down here in the lower right around the lee side of Cyprus to Myra. Uh, and in 27, Acts 27, 4 to 6, when they left Sidon, the voyage became difficult. Strong winter winds made progress um, uh, tough, so they, they sailed north of Cyprus for protection from the northwestern winds. And they got to Myra, and uh, they were transferred to an Alexandrian ship that was sailing for Rome. And uh, so in 27, uh, go to the next uh, map. Stephanie, can you go to the next map? There you go. So um, uh, they, were, they uh, finally reached from Myra, they, they, they went to the island of Crete, and you can see down at the bottom, I don't know if you can read that or not, it says Fair Havens, kind of in the middle <laughs> And, and, and black there. And uh, here they had a debate about whether to go on or not. And Paul had said, uh, he advised them, in fact, he admonished them, uh, Acts 27, 9 to 12. He began to admonish the captain and crew, strongly recommending that they stay put for the winter. But his counsel was ignored. And they tried to make it to Phoenix, which is over to the left. Uh, and they had some light winds. They thought maybe that's going to be okay. Once they uh, put out, they got into basically a typhoon. Um, and in Acts 27, 16, and 17, the wind just drove the ship south to the island of Kata. And if you go to the next map, I think it shows it. So there's fair havens, and the wind basically blew them to Kata. And they tried to uh, uh, secure the ship there. They put cables and ropes around it, trying to hold the ship together in this, for this storm. Uh, and they were just working frantically. But they kept uh, being blown by the wind. Uh, down, if you go to the next map, uh, to Sirtis, and, uh, uh, which is kind of on the northern coast of Africa. And apparently there's uh, shallows there and sandbars, and it's a uh, it's known as a graveyard for ships. So they were terrified of going there. Uh, and they were desperate. So they were throwing the, uh, all their um, uh, cargo over. They had uh, cargo, which was mostly grain from Egypt. Uh, Egypt was kind of the breadbasket for Rome. So they were taking grain from Egypt to Rome. They threw it all overboard. And then they started to throw their tackle out as well. In Acts 27, 21 to 26, uh, this is a hopeless situation. Paul emerged as a man of courage and common sense. Um, uh, he had, uh, everybody had uh, uh, been tossed around on the sea for several days and had lost their appetite. Nobody had eaten anything. Uh, and um, so Paul was visited by an angel. And uh, he then assured them that no one, no life would be lost at sea. They'd lose the boat, but um, he urged them to keep up their courage. And uh, the, the, um, the angel told him that how the ship would wreck, and it was on a certain island. Uh, this island was like finding a needle in a haystack. If you go to the next slide, uh, it was blown from Crete over to Malta. Malta is not the thing up above, that's Sicily, but yeah, down below. So this tiny little island they were blown to. And... Um, uh, the ship was basically wrecked there. They hit a reef. The front of the ship was stuck in the reef. The pounding surf was hitting the back of the boat, and the boat was going to break up. And uh, uh, 
So uh, let me jump ahead here. Um, the, uh, the soldiers on board were about to kill the prisoners because they had a bunch of prisoners that were also going to Rome. And uh, as we've talked about before, if a, if a soldier led or a jailer led a prisoner free, they would suffer a worse fate. So they were going to just kill him. But the centurion uh, protected Paul and the others and said don't, uh, not to kill them. In Acts 28.1, uh, basically, they swam to shore, uh, uh, to Sicily. Some of them could swim, and some of them took boards or planks off the ship, whatever was floating, and uh, they floated over to um, the island of Malta uh, from the reef. And um, uh, so uh, in uh, 28, 2, and 3, they talk about the uh, natives being uh, barbarians, but it doesn't mean they were savages. To, I thought it was interesting in this commentary. Uh, <clears throat> they didn't speak Greek. And so to the Greek uh, speakers, the barbarians' uh, language sounded like they were saying bar, 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 bar. <laughs> That's, I guess, where barbarian came from. But at any rate, uh, they, um, uh, uh, the, the, the islanders uh, treated them well. They uh, they gathered fuel for fire. They were drying them out. These guys were waterlogged and cold. And um, uh, Paul was struck by a snake uh, getting firewood. And um, apparently it was, a, it was a poisonous snake. But um, uh, God protected Paul, and he did not uh, die. And so the islanders thought um, that maybe Paul was a god. And so they had to correct that. The leading man on the island, this is a 27, 7 to 10, was a guy named, uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, Publius. And he extended hospitality to Paul and his companions uh, for three days. Publius's father was sick with fever and dysentery. Malta fever was a common disorder, not limited to Malta alone, and was caused by drinking the unsterilized milk of diseased goats. Paul cured Publius's father by praying for him and placing hands on him. This is the only instance in Acts where healing is brought about both by prayer and the laying on of hands. And then the other thing that happened is that Luke helped them. Well, Luke was a physician, so they actually helped these people in two ways. One was prayer and laying on of hands, and then by medical cures. And the uh, islanders um, then honored uh, them, uh, Paul and Luke, uh, in... Um, in uh, 27, 7 to 10, with many marks of respect, which meant that they actually paid fees to them. Um, after two years of the apostles, Apostle Paul's imprisonment, this was a reaffirmation that God was still with Paul. Uh, it was possible that the miracles gave Paul confirmation that he had made the right decision in appealing to Caesar. Um, they stayed for three months on Malta, and, uh, and then they boarded another Alexandrian ship, uh, and, um, uh, and then sailed uh, to Syracuse. If you go to the next map. So they're on Malta, that little thing, and they sail up to Sicily, the island, the body there, and at Syracuse. Uh, and they stayed there for three days. And, uh, and then um, in Acts 28, 14 to 15, before going on to Rome, now the rest of the trip was going to be on foot, um, Paul and his uh, companions accepted an invitation to stay for seven days. And the presence of a church in Puteoli, um, over here in Italy, uh, showed, and Paul had never been there, uh, showed the extent of the gospel impact. Uh, but the church went forward. The word went forward. Um, then, uh, if you go to the next map, they, uh, they go up to... Uh, they're hiking toward Rome. They go to uh, the Forum of Appius and some other places that are mentioned, and um, uh, they get to Rome. In Acts uh, 28, uh, 16 to 22, and just kind of give a summary of this, uh, God was with Paul when he arrived in Rome. Uh, he was treated with respect and, and granted, even though he was a, he was a chain to a, uh, guard, um, he was given a lot of privileges. Uh, he, he was allowed to meet with Jewish countrymen. And he did this again all throughout Acts. He goes to the synagogue. He preaches to the Jews. He tries to, to convince them 
through his experience and through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. And, and once again, some believe and a lot don't. Um, when Paul entered uh, Rome, uh, Paul was not brutalized by Roman guards. Um, he was not treated like a revolutionary or considered a threat, um, uh, nor was the Christian faith. Um, and then in 28.16, the we sections end, indicating that Luke probably left Paul at this point to go be his emissary elsewhere. Uh, not that he had abandoned him. And uh, so in, 20, uh, in 28, 17 to 22, he's talking with the leading Jews, uh, and he tries to convince them. Um, the people there hadn't heard anything specifically about Paul, but they had heard about this new faith. And so they, they requested to know more. They called it a sect. And uh, that gives rise to the Jewish people thinking that maybe there was heresy going on here. Um, in the summary, uh, Acts 28, 24 to 27, some were convinced, but most refused to believe. The divided response is typical of the Jewish response to the Christian message throughout the book of Acts, and he goes to the Gentiles. Um, uh, Paul talked about, and we can get into this more detail uh, in another time, but he, he accused them uh, that did not believe that their heart had become dull um, and uh, they, they could not hear with their ears or see with their eyes. Um, Paul said to the refusal of the Jews to accept Paul's messages turned, uh, justified his turning to the Gentiles. God's gracious plan of redemption cannot be frustrated even by the unbelief of his chosen people. Their unbelief gave Paul the opportunity to offer salvation to Gentiles. Paul developed the wisdom of God's plan of salvation further in Romans 11, um, etc. Um, and then uh, to jump to the end, because we're out of time, 2831, Acts ends on a note of triumph. The word of God was being proclaimed with all openness, boldness, unhindered in Rome, the capital of the empire. As Paul testified during a second imprisonment, the messenger may be chained, but not the message, uh, referencing uh, 2 Timothy 2.9. The book of Acts also ends as it began with the proclamation of the kingdom of God. In Acts 1, his resurrected Lord taught his fathers about the kingdom of God. The setting was Jerusalem. Thirty years later, Paul taught about the kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The setting was different. Now it was Rome. Jesus' uh, witnesses did as he commanded. Filled with the Holy Spirit, they proclaimed the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the world.